Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. So with an intense year ahead at Westminster, a UK government trying to reboot its image in the face of new crises and opposition, still trying to persuade the nations and its own supporters that it is fit for government and a parliament appearing to fall apart, both literally and metaphorically at times, we're delighted to be joined by Plaid Cymru's Westminster leader, Liz Savile-Roberts, MP for Doivo Meirionydd, and confirmed candidate for its successor seat. Hello, Liz. Hello, hello. Thank you very much for the invitation. You're very, very welcome. And congratulations on being elected for the new seat. Is it Will, will it still be called Doivo Meirionydd in the next election? Well, that's what the Boundary Commission want to call it. Um, I would far rather they called it something that recognised the fact that it's considerably bigger than Doivo Meirionydd. They haven't, I think there's been applications to them and they haven't accepted that. So, um, we, we are with Duivo Meriona at the moment. Perhaps that may change. Question. So what would the seat be called if you could call it anything? If, I, if I had a say in it, I would call it Arvon Duivo Meriona because that includes more of most of it. It doesn't include all of Arvon and it does, that doesn't recognise it's a little bit from Denbyshire as well, Adernion. But I think that probably would be the best compromise. <laughs> we've had uh, we've had Shireen, uh, who leads the Boundary Commission, on the podcast a number of times. She's a good friend of the podcast. I'll, I'll mention that in 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 the next uh, next time we have her on the pod. So um, before we sort of turn our gaze to parliamentary matters, I wonder if we could sort of follow up on that question about boundaries. So as as Plaid Cymru is the only sort of Wales only party represented in the Union Parliament. Mm -hmm. Is it fair to say that the impact of reduction of seats uh, that will come as ahead of the, uh, at the next election is perhaps hardest felt by Plaid Cymru in that it reduces the number of potential MPs for the party? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly hardest felt by Wales. If you're looking at a situation where you're going down in this post-Brexit take-back control era and, hey, take-back control means that you lose eight out of your 40 present MPs, that's a pretty bad place Wales to be in. You're going to have, we know as things stand that it will be the, 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 the great rump of the English MPs that will decide every major decision that is made here. Um, but nonetheless, you know, for, it's strikingly obvious in, for, for Wales where we haven't, our population hasn't grown as fast as elsewhere, that that reduction of a key voice when we also have a de devolved parliament and you would ex expect that that would uh, within Westminster have implications. For Plaid Cymru, well, of course, we have three MPs at present, and I don't think I'm really revealing anything remotely that I shouldn't, or is controversial. I think uh, uh, we will be targeting four seats, but it will nonetheless you know, mean that we may actually have a slightly larger represent representation within the percentage of the overall Welsh MPs, but Wales as a whole is losing out. I'm not going to name the seats um, that I think you might be talking about there, but of course, one of the things that we probably should touch on is the fact that the election of Srina Piorweth as um, party leader and group leader in the national parliament in the Senate leaves a gaping hole in the candidature, candidature of um, the potentially winnable seat at Anis Morn. How, how, how are you responding to that? Because obviously that, that seemed to be the direction of travel until the, um, the, the Sheen was elected leader. Do, are you still confident that that seat is a seat that you can win as a party? Yes, um, partly because the polls are telling that to us, regardless from the way people are supporting. I mean, you know, these things happen. I was very enthusiastic, um, really, really happy that Reen was to stand for Westminster. 
but the situation arose that we needed a leader and Reen has filled that role very effectively. He's been he's doing the things that I'm, you know, I'm really pleased to see what he's been doing over the summer. Um, we are in the process, I hope, as, as quickly as possible in identifying a, a candidate for Innismore. Um, we, we, we have a very good chance in Innismore and people certainly want to change. And to have somebody who was imposed from outside by the Tories back in 2019, with very few connections to the island, um, you know, and, and whether somebody will come in who has a uh, who's been vetted, if you like, by the Labour Party, um, people will have a a different choice from Plaid Cymru, who I think will put the voice, you know, the the, the interests of Innismon, uh from experience first. I was going to make a joke about having a candidate called Ron Appleworth for us long-standing Rina Apiorworth followers, but I'm not going to do that. I shouldn't do that. <laughs> I keep getting told off for doing dad jokes on the podcast. Okay. Um, uh, um, just before we start talking about I, I will pick up a question about Doivon in a minute. Just before we talk about that, um, many people are expecting it to be quite a tough election for Ply Cymru in terms of winning new seats. Um, but just on a kind of question of principle, how important is it, do you feel it is, for Ply Cymru to have members sitting in the House of Commons and indeed, you know, to some extent, the House of Lords? How, how important is it that Ply Cymru is represented there? Because, of course, there are other national parties, looking at Sinn Féin here, who decide not to take their seats. Okay. Well, of course, there, there is a spectrum. There is Sinn Féin, there is the SNP, who send members of Parliament here but don't send candidates to the House of Lords, don't send people representatives to the House of Lords, and Ply Cymru sends MPs and presently has one MP, uh, one Lord under the whip in, in, in the House of Lords. Well, it depends what you want to achieve. I mean, Sinn Féin is in a completely different environment. The island of Ireland is the greater part of the population of the island of Ireland live in the Republic. You have a separate national government there, which Sinn Féin sits, you know, operates in both the North and in the Republic, they can recognise a separate parliament in which they can take part. Now, the reality, if you want to be a political operator in the United Kingdom and take part in the legislative process of the United Kingdom, then either you choose to be a lobbying group and to lobby from afar without direct, on record, on vote, quoted effect, or you you just you you stand you stand on the sidelines and shout. Now, Plaid Cymru is a political party, so I strongly believe that we should give the people of Wales across Wales always the option of voting for a representative who stands for our views and will be able to make a difference to legislation and to use this place, Westminster, for what it does to great effect. Namely, it's it's a sounding board. If you say something here, it echoes back, and that actually you know the state of Forgive me, I mean, podcasts are immensely important, but when we look at the, the media within Wales, <laughs> and podcasts may well actually become more significant in terms of listeners and, 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 and you know, and, 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 and looking at the state of our national media. We, as a political party, have to find the place that we can get our voice out. So we want to leave Westminster. We want to have these powers, all this operational within independence in Cardiff. But how are we going to get there? unless we can get the message across. And Westminster is part of the um, yeah, the mechanism for doing that. 
Yes, I, I suspect a lot of people consider Ply Cymru, who are not politically perhaps engaged, uh, consider Ply Cymru to be a single issue party talking about Welsh independence or various other things. But I, I'm, I always recall things like when we had um, Lord Wigley on the, on the podcast uh, talking about his decade in the Lords, he was describing how he spent so much of his time in the Commons um, you know, working on legislation of issues that mattered to him and his constituents, such as dis there were a number of disability laws that he championed. And there's, you know, Ply Cymru, I think if I remember correctly, uh, you, you might, you're in a far better position to correct me um, if I say something wrong here, but I think a couple of years ago, Ply Cymru was the MPs were recognised as being the inverted commas hardest working because they attended the most number of hours of debate in in the chamber. Is that correct? It was something okay. like that. Yeah, I mean, we, 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 yeah. We certainly end, endeavour to make our presence. Here. Of course, and there's two things there. there. There is what I was explaining, if you like, the, the, the pure political argument as to why we're here. But alongside that, we, we need the, the credibility of being able to make a difference to people's lives. So when we have the opportunity to do that here, then it shows that we are able, able to work with others and we're able to make friends. And of course, that making friends and working with others pays back in other ways as well and of course again if we were just talking about the process of politics yet yeah, there will be an awful lot of people quite like me who will find that really exciting <laughs> but there will be an awful lot of people who will find that an absolute turn off you know so again to reach people with a message you reach people in different ways with different messages and that's you know again something that we can do in Westminster. Although having said that, one of the lessons I've learned here, because you, when people ask me what this experience is like here, the, the, you know, do you enjoy it? The best answer, the, the honest answer is it is infinitely interesting. It is sort of mercilessly interesting. You know, it, it's never boring. And you do have to be, there, there are so many opportunities coming your way that you have to choose where you're actually going to have an effect or you really spread yourself thin, especially as a, you know, a, a small party representative, you have to be quite focused on where you're going to get the effects where you're actually cut through. Yes, I, I, I can assure you that you are safe in terms of political geekery here. Both ourselves and our listeners are all fully in that camp. So there's nothing <laughs> you could say that would be too niche at this point. Uh, uh, I didn't say point. anorak, but I just did that. <laughs> Okay, so um, we'll, I, you know, you touched on a number of things like working with other people, making connections. We'll, we'll circle back to that in just a little while, but I, um, I just want to sort of focus in a little bit on um, your time as an MP because you were elected in 2015, for representing the seat uh, formerly and potentially future known as Dovar Merionev. Um, eight, eight years later, what would you say have been the most notable? challenges and successes for you and for your constituents and your areas of interest in in that time okay i mean the things that i will actually remember um with real pride the things that you carry in your heart are the things that you've done for individuals who otherwise would not have had been treated fairly or not have had justice and some of these are almost not things you can talk about because they're very very personal but they are yes it, i wasn't performing for political reasons. I have made a difference to these people's lives. And you get that as a counsellor. I mean, if I was to urge anybody to get into politics, those are the things that you will carry with you in your heart. And I think that the, the big stage events, obviously the, the, the co-working across the floor of the House between 2017 up to 29, particularly on the option, the opportunity for alternative legislation towards Brexit, moving towards a second referendum, 
I can actually remember being in the room with the cross-party representatives with, with Jeremy Corbyn when Corbyn decided that he was going to agree with the calls for a, a general election. And when John McDonnell told him, have you said that, have you seen the polls? Because we knew which way we would go if there was when there was a general election in 2019. And that is exactly what happened. Now, for many people, probably not the listeners of this podcast, that sight of politicians doing politics was abhorrent. But we must bear in mind that if you allow a government to say that you're not politicians are not allowed to do politics, where is that going to end? Where is that going to end? I mean, I think if we had had a second referendum, yes, there would have been there would have been tensions after that. But there have been tensions following on from Boris Johnson's success and the number of, of, of MPs that he returned in 2019. Um, some of the things that were said at that time were immensely divisive. And we have a Tory party that is st still playing out on division because, frankly, they've, they've lost out on all the other arguments. But those I think those that that co-working when we were with Tories, Labour, people from across the parties uh, was when you're used to being in a really small group, it was exciting. It was exciting to see how other parties operate as well, because obviously we're not party to, to what can be perhaps for some backbenchers quite easy because you just go with the flow and work on your favourite subjects. And some of the things I must say that actually working within the House on the independent complaints and grievance scheme, I was one on the, the working group that set that up. And that also was a, a real learning curve. And this is where you see this is where the balance is, because some of the stuff that's most personally interesting, like, say, also working on bill committees. Actually, if you're looking at it politically, you've got to draw a line of is that the right use of my time? But also, particularly in the role of leader, you get to talk about an awful lot of things and you gain a skill set of sounding like you know what you're talking about, <laughs> but you only scratch the surface. And occasionally when you actually get to go into de in, in depth or something, that's, um, it's, it's quite gratifying rather than feeling you're just sort of um, <laughs> looking as though you know what you're talking about. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you've, I mean, you slightly preempted this question that I'm going to ask you next, but I... I... I think it's easy for us now to forget because of the sheer magnitude of the coronavirus um, pandemic and the, the fact that it was at one of those once a century changing moments. Your time in Parliament has, I would possibly say, been one of the most eventful in the, one of the most eventful decades of a long time. Obviously, yes. you had the Brexit uh, referendum and then the Brexit wars that then followed. Uh, and then you've had some quite extraordinarily awful governance you know you had the johnson era with all of the tricks being pulled to try and manipulate parliamentary process including you know some i hope it's not unfair to say by the speaker of the, at, at the time um innovative innovative use of the rule book um then oh. you had the ill-fated trust-led government um and then it's endless rotating door of ministerial appointments none of which can have been good for good governance how, how would you characterize your experience during that, that period and how do you reflect on whether the parliament is functioning well at all you know uh, because that, yeah. that, that, that was quite an extraordinary time unfortunately i haven't experienced prior to 2015 when i came in in 2015 we had david cameron we had george osborne then we went straight within a year into well almost just over a year into the the europe ref, european referendum and then everything went bonkers after that that's what people tell me 
but I, you know, I, I didn't know how it was. Yeah, I mean, when you know, when you haven't got, when you, you haven't got people shouting at you when, you when you're doing interviews, not just one or two enthusiastic, dedicated shouters at politicians, but when you've got crowds of people shouting at you when you do an interview outside, and they insisted that we do. Ent- there was one time when they insisted in 2019 that we did interviews outside, and it was verging on. You know, this is not. This probably is not safe. We should be indoors for the sake of our sakes and for the for the camera crews as well. I think the. I mean, there, there were two really outstanding. Well, outstanding is exactly the wrong word. You know, horrifically emotional moments in the fact that we we lost two parliamentarians were murdered in Joe Cox and and David Amis, and in one way, in in so many ways, it, it surprises me how almost how how unshocked we were at that. It was a shocking story, but it went with the news cycle and then it rolled out of the news cycle. And those were very emotional. And of course, from both, you know, both sides of the political spectrum. But I think if, if I looked at it politically, particularly since it became apparent from Theresa May onwards, and I can only talk about the Tory party because I've only seen them in power, but that everything including the the brexit referendum were about holding the tory party together so that they did their rightful service to the nation as they would see it of governing said nation and that nobody else is fit to do it and everything else is sacrificed on the altar of staying in power and you can see that then on with theresa may although she behaved with greater conventional honourability than Johnson, but the underlining assumption was we must hold the Tory party together and we are always talking to ourselves with a bit of a cipher being fed around the outside to the outside world. They are always talking about themselves. And you can see that now, um, I think there's been an announcement just made with with Rishi Sunak about the challenge over uh, the triple lock pension. They were never going to walk away from that because that's their supporters. So you always see the the, the, the it, my experience has always been the Tory party holding itself together and whatever it costs, that's what it takes. I suppose I've painted or it's possible to paint quite a bleak picture um, uh, of Westminster. Certainly, you know, certainly over the last few years, it's kind of created quite a bad name for itself. I mean, if someone were to ask you, you know, what are the great things about Westminster you know, and, the, you know, the Westminster model, is there something that would trip off the tongue? If you, re- if you really start thinking about it, you have a lot of very intelligent, very dedicated people here. We were talking about the um, the former clerk of the house who was moving somewhere else, John Benger, and the quality of people who are interpreting Askan May, uh, what we can do, the level of support is exceptionally good. But fundamentally, we're dealing with a place that's like it's like an old computer system. You've got the reboots on top of reboots on top of reboots, but it's built on something that was you know, originally designed for those aristocrats who felt like taking part of this and probably shared out the job of being MP with their relations, and it was all a bit of a nuisance. And of course, they were all men. So that sense of the 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 precedent operating here. And also the fact, of course, that you're looking from a Welsh point of view, you're always looking at the potential of the tyranny of the majority overriding minority interests. You are granted something which may serve the minority, but if it doesn't serve something that will win a vote amongst the English MPs, the numbers aren't there. 
So structurally, it's designed to do a certain thing, which doesn't, and it's structurally designed, of course, to favour adversarialism between a party in government and a party in opposition. Now, there's almost something, you know, the gravity of our challenges, you could argue that that allows when you have a range of people and a range of skills in opposition, that allows decent scrutiny. In effect, it doesn't, particularly when a government is returned with a large majority, because it doesn't matter what you say on the other side. And we've, we've seen that with, with, with this government. There is so much, I think, if we were to redesign the whole affair, you know, you wouldn't be designing it over a chamber which is two swords apart and distance so that you don't hit each other with your swords and you've got a place to hang your sword on its little pink ribbon and you talk about this rather, you know, it's just like fairy tale world. Yes, it's very interesting as a museum and something like a something out of Shrek, but it's not necessarily how we would like people to make decisions for the challenges that we're facing in the 21st century. And that is something, I mean, we're moving towards it so slowly with the Senate, but that different culture of rewarding co-working on a cause as opposed to that first past the post to the winner, the spoils, something, the table attitude. I think that's way more mature, but the media in England has to catch up with that because the media in England likes the personality stuff. They like it that we're going hammer and tongs at each other, but you've really got to think, does that actually do what he wanted to do? Yes, I, I, comparing it's like saying it's like something out of Shrek might have given us the episode title for this podcast. I have to say that's a, that's an absolute <laughs> gem. Thank you. I touched on this a little bit earlier, but in that context that you've just painted, how would you describe the role of Ply Cymru being there? What is the purpose for Ply Cymru being there in that setting? Yeah, on, on really on different levels. If I start, if you like, just on the committee level, my experience with committee is I've been on various uh, justice and domestic abuse uh, bill committees. Now, when it came to the, the most recent one was the domestic abuse committee, bill committee, I raised and I was the only person who raised the fact that we had violence against women and girls legislation already in Wales and that we needed somebody to come in and speak to us just so we knew that that existed. The fact that that existed was not on the radar otherwise. So I think that interface between what is being done in the Senev and what is being done here, that actually should not be dependent on individual MPs raising it. That There should be some hardwired mechanism, not the Joint Ministerial Council, because that's not minuted, it's not agendered, we don't, you know, there's, there's no accountability there. So that's the, if you like, the, the most basic. And then of course, what we are doing is because you know, we, we are free in the sense of being solely Ply Cymru. Welsh Labour do not operate independently of UK Labour. Things will be said in a different way. Mark Drakeford may say things in a different way. But we do know that when the hard decisions come to be made, that will UK, UK Labour will, 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 will call the shots in that respect. So that we are free of that bond, if you like, that is tying Labour together and putting Labour's priorities first. We're free of that. And we can raise questions, not just constitutional, not just constituency questions, but Wales-wide questions. And, and if you forgive me, the, the clear illustration of this recently is that I think 90% of Welsh Labour MPs have now been conscripted into shadow cabinet roles. Now, that means that they are tied by 
the corporate responsibility, of cabinet responsibility, if you like, and they will not be able to scrutinize in the same way. It's it's a way of making sure that people don't break rank. And it's I think it's really interesting, actually, that 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 Starmer has decided to bring so many people, uh, keep them right on the ship so that they, 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 they can't be off doing anything else anywhere, anywhere else. Just as an aside on that, I, when that announcement was made, it did it did prompt me to check about the size of government. One of the things that I don't think we appreciate uh, having a Senate of just 60 members and I can't remember, is it 13 in government? Um, yeah. about the sheer size of the government ranks, this government payroll and the you know, opposition payroll is, is huge. Yeah, I mean, you, you see that in, in the Senate as well. It, it, it's one of those governmental resorts. You, you, you bring in your as many as people as you can justify into government as possible because you've got control over them then. But then, then you do wonder you know, the quality of scrutiny. I mean, I, I will argue passionately for the need for more Senate members because I think the quality of public services in Wales really suffers from a lack of scrutiny. And I'm aware, I mean, just to look at the, at the situation with health, when I was a councillor, we had two community health councils in Gwynedd and they represent the patient's voice. That went down to one for the North, and there is now one Community Health Council for Wales. Now, I think that is really, I, that's bad. I, I think, and I think, to be fair on Mark Drakeford, I think he gets this because he has, he's been prepared to discuss the change for Senedd and prepared to trust the change, discuss changes for the first past the post method as well. You have to build in the chink that actually means your party in the end may lose. Because if you don't do that, if, if you are in a position always to safeguard the interests of your party, you are not putting the interests of democracy first. You have to put that chink, as I said, where the light gets in somewhere. And we that is what I hope, between the first past the post and really, really between increasing the numbers, that we will get greater vitality, greater range, more voice, more noise, and a, a lot more holding to account than we've that has been possible to do in the past. This is where my my podcast colleague Matt uh, would make a joke about how no councils, neither Plaid nor Labour, have decided to take up the offer of moving to STV uh, just yet, uh, and uh, yep. there would be a, 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 that, a chuckle. Yep, yeah, that is a very fair point, and I think, to be honest, the fair point is that any one party, any one single council that does that, is doing exactly what I was saying of voting themselves out. Therefore, it should be a decision across the board. So that it works on the it, it, it everybody's on the same the, the same platform. But yes, it's it's that's a fair point. Going back to Westminster, thinking about we touched on earlier about other parties. Uh, what, what are the relationships that are central to Plaid Cymru in Westminster? I in terms of working with other smaller parties or even members of larger parties, like uh, obviously the SNP seems like a natural uh, seem like natural colleagues for Plaid Cymru. The Greens in England, uh, or the Green from England. I know the SDLP, I don't know, uh, from Northern Ireland and members of Welsh parts of either Labour or Conservative. What are the key relationships that you as a group have in, in Westminster? Well, the, the, the SNP are certainly key to us because they are you know, they're, they're the second opposition. They are privy to more information than we will get. You know, information, knowing what's coming down the track is very powerful and very useful because otherwise you only get the business for the the next week officially on the thursday so the earlier you can get 
heads up of that, the better. Um, obviously, I mean, I am a privy councillor. One of the reasons why I was very keen to become a privy councillor is that on occasion you will get more information on privy council terms, which again, on occasion is very is is useful. Then you do have the sort of the the, the co-working of friendships. Even before you get to that point, we also work closely with with Caroline Lucas, who is, I mean, she's an extraordinary MP. That's all I can say. I mean, she's she's a how she holds it together, held it together since two thousand and ten. I, I have every admiration for her. We work. We we have fairly regular conversations with with Sinn Fein, which gives us an update. We also work somewhat alongside the SDLP, although they also have connections with Labour. And then you, as I said, you 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 will just become friends with some people, and you'll find you'll have interests with some people. I mean, there are an awful lot, probably too many, all-party parliamentary groups, and I think there are moves afoot to try and reduce them. Again, for us, sometimes they're wonderful because you get to find out things you wouldn't otherwise, and you make you, you get to know who wants to do things similar to you, which you, you it develops into a professional friendship. Uh, on the other hand, if you're in a small party, they all want you to be officers. So I think I am on 29 and I know that I'm going to have to reduce that as an officer. I know that I'm going to have to reduce that considerably. Again, this is talking about focusing on what you do. Because <laughs> there's one of the things, of course, difference about Westminster compared to, say, for example, um, the European Parliament in, in Brussels is that in, in Brussels you have kind of alliances, kind of formal groups of different parties that will work together from the different territories and such. And the way that that kind of similar process works in Westminster seems a lot of the time to be based more on individuals, you know, unfortunately, in the same way that a lot of intergovernment relations also seems to be worked on in individuals. But would you say that there's a sort of healthy territorial grouping between MPs from across Wales and Scotland, England and Northern Ireland. Is is it healthy the way that those different MPs from those different territories work together? I I would say I've just been to Barcelona with the European Free Alliance, which is the, the grouping which Plaid, the green grouping that Plaid used to be a member of when we had an MEP. Uh, that sort of formal group co-working does not exist here. And again, I mean, that, that, that comes back to that adversarial tradition. There are two parties and they swap power between them. I sincerely question that because the, the party interest comes to the fore as opposed to what you're intending to achieve. Now, that obviously you, you see it in in various countries. You see it in, in, we're seeing it in Spain at, at, as we speak, is how people come together in those groups there is not an easy process, it can be a long process. And I think there would be a mocking within our press here, but then our majority press here is probably very interested in keeping in the, the Tories in power forever. So you know, I think looking at alternative ways of working um, and what is happening in Spain actually for say parties like Escara, um, Puigdemont, the Galicians, the Basque parties, is actually really exciting now because we could see some form of constitutional change because their votes are needed to form a new government. Um, you know, we shall see where we are in a month or two's time as to what happens with that. But uh, it, that is a space to be watched. Indeed, there are some uh, Westminster structures that are meant to represent or provide governance for specific Welsh issues. Um, thinking of Welsh Affairs Committee, obviously the Welsh Grand, um, and of course the Wales Office in Government. How how effective and valuable would you say that 
these structures are for Wales in Westminster? I think that the, the Welsh Affairs Select Committee certainly does a job of uh, amplifying and revealing the specific Welsh aspect. They then make recommendations and sometimes something happens other than very often it it doesn't. And I actually, I, I, I think it, it has had over the, the time that I've been here, it's had effective chairs. It's now Stephen Crabb, it was um, David T.C. Davis. And although I will criticise David T.C. Davis in for many, if not all, of his political standpoints, he was a very effective, a, a very effective and very fair chair. You have the Welsh Grand. Um, I'm glad that it happens. I think you could ask any Welsh MP about what its effect was, and they would have a question mark over it. I think we may be able to, I think we can now speak in Welsh in it. Again, I am glad that that happens. What the actual effect of that was, is, is this tokenistic? Is it something that we can talk about and say it happens and be glad of? If you actually look at what in terms of what the effect is, I would say the effect is not immense. I think the big constitutional challenges, as I'm not speaking possibly with my usual placumary rhetorical hat on here, is that there is no recognition of how the different parliaments operate and how the different men... We've got the JMC, just the, the um, Joint Ministerial Council, but there, there are things happening and powers in different places. We have anomalies in our sorts of devolution and we have the UK Internal Market Act and also the, the Procurement Act and how those play out in stopping, uh, say, the Senev or Holyrood particularly doing certain things, we don't know yet because we haven't reached the, the time when they will be challenged. But they have an immense potential of, of, of challenging. And of course, again, within the structures that we're familiar with, should the House of Lords in a new form, be doing something along those lines where you've got national representation proportionately within there, which we don't, particularly post-Johnson's appointments, we, really, <laughs> we have, we, we, every prime minister tries to fill the place up to make the next prime minister, particularly if they're an opposition party, as their lives as difficult as possible. But of course, I mean, the really big questions about whether the whole structure can hold together. I mean, if you're looking at a situation in Ireland, between the north and the south, where you could well, you, you already have uh, Michelle O'Neill as the uh, the first minister, although the DUP very reluctant to working together with them, we could well see um, Sinn Fein as the the largest party in the Republic after the next elections. Now that we're looking at could be an immense change, and even in Scotland, where I know that the SNP are not in the position that they were, say, you know, a couple of years ago. Nonetheless, we're still seeing support for independence in Scotland at being around 50%, and that's not going to go away. There is a peculiar thing about Welsh devolution, uh, famously known as the jagged edge, where, because it doesn't have clean and coherent devolution arrangement in the same way that Scotland and Northern Ireland do, nor the, in inverted commas, ultimate sovereignty that England has through Westminster, that governance is a real problem in some areas. So one of the things that I know, as we've had them on the pod before, um, that Dr. Rob Jones and, Dr. and Prof. Wynne Jones uh, noted in their recent book, The Welsh Criminal Justice System, um, is that although we don't have our own justice system in Wales, uh, like the other nations do, um, our position is not the same as it is in England, because there is 
just enough difference through provision of healthcare, yeah. housing, um, many other public services that are yeah. associated with prisoners, prisons and prisoners, um, that it doesn't get properly scrutinised by, for example, the Justice Committee in Westminster because it's such a small part of a bigger justice system. And it doesn't get scrutinised in the Welsh Affairs Committee because there frankly isn't enough specialist expertise in Welsh Affairs Committee mm -hmm. to do it. And it doesn't get scrutinised either in the Senate because it's not devolved um, mm -hmm. because officially it doesn't have a role in justice. So how should these really important issues actually be scrutinised? Mm. Yes, um, and just as an aside, I mean, we, we did do uh, scrutiny on prisons in Wales, which I had urged, and I'm glad that we did it, just before I stood down and Ben Lake took over from me in 2017. We we, 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 we visited every prison in Wales, and I, I could say too as well, that uh, the Park Prison, which of course is the only private prison in Wales, just prior to our visit there, they realised that there was no ombudsman for health in relation to a private prison in Wales. And they had to bring in Betsy Carolda University Health Board to answer that question. But that was because we were going there. If we hadn't gone there, nobody would have asked the question, which is, you know, when you're looking at situations where you've got overdoses, where you've got suicides, where the provision of health within prisons is ha, has been different in Wales, I'm glad to say, because Welsh Government have taken different um, priorities. But that was exactly one of those examples. And you know, there are there are many aspects of this. If you look at uh, policies from Welsh Government towards youth custody, policies towards women, where there is a will to intervene and to go about incarceration and, and how prisoners are handled in a different way with a different set of values, but no control over the overall arc. Now, this is what's quite interesting from what uh, Gordon Brown is pr proposing from his constitutional um, commission. He's talking about sending uh, youth justice, devolving youth justice and probation. The problem with that is you're only taking what is sent to you from policing. If you haven't got control over the whole lot of who's going to be, yeah, who, who do you send to court? How, how, what is then acted by the CPS? If you haven't got decision over that, you, you haven't got decision, you, you're only dealing with what the product, product is at the end. So it, it is, for me, I mean, the, the unique situation, which is different to that of England, is the whole of justice, policing, justice, and all the support services are all in the hands of one government. They're not in Wales. And it does look, thanks to, I mean, Rob's work has been, yeah, Robert has been extraordinary. He couldn't get access to prisons at one stage. He would travel on buses that families were going on to visit family members in prison. And that's how he got to speak to people. He he, he has been immensely dedicated. Um, you know, we, we, we only have these snapshots, but it looks like there is a higher rate of incarceration in Wales than elsewhere of people, Welsh address people. And of course, because we have this this, this larger number of prison spaces in Wales, we've also got people travelling here. So this is something that has been imposed upon us. It creates a cost for us. And our communities, which are affected by criminality, are not being handled in a way which which is, which is goes with the values which are proven within the Senate. Some, nobody may ask me, I, I'm on the step, on the doorstep, I want to devolve justice, but it's such a mess. And if you really want to make an improvement, you know, once you start looking at the um, 
incarceration figures and what and the figures of what happens afterwards. We, if we want to improve our society, we need to have our hands on those levers. I'm going to do a shameless plug now for um, an event we co-hosted with uh, Rob Jones, Dr. Rob Jones and Prof. Wynne Jones in Storyville Books in Potpourri. Uh, for listeners and viewers of our, on our YouTube channel can go back and watch that because they go into that subject in much more detail. Uh, you touched on uh, Gordon Brown um, there and his recommendations to the Labour Party about constitutional change. And we are expecting some form of proposal um, from the UK Labour Party going into the next general election based on some form of enhancement of devolution. How would you appraise the Welsh Government's commission on the constitutional future of Wales? Uh, they're likely to report in the coming months, having explored three options for the future of Wales, entrenched devolution, federalism and independence, um, although you know, I think fairly have come under criticism for not properly exploring abolition of devolution because that is still a reasonably uh, popular minority popular view along with gordon brown's interventions um uh, what do you expect the welsh government via the uk labour party to push forward in the in the next election and uk parliamentary term are you expecting to see further devolution of any kind uh, what I would expect and what I would like may not be the same thing. Um, <laughs> because we already have Welsh Government ministers have called for devolution of policing, devolution of justice. They are in a position to do an awful lot of work now and to request of the UK Government the information they need, sort of the, the, the foundation information you need to begin to do this. Now, to come back to Rob Jones's work, I've worked with Rob and we... we We've, he gave me a set of questions that he would like to have for us to have a proper picture of what's happening with justice in Wales. We need to get this data year on year because we have a snapshot, but we haven't got the tendencies. You know, we, we, we need to see whether the trends and what's happening. Now, I, as an opposition MP, can ask for this information, say that it's a very good thing, get people to agree with me here. But I haven't got the same clout as Welsh government have in actually demanding this information of the UK government, but Welsh government just don't do it. They they make the noises for devolution, but they're not doing the pretty basic groundwork that needs to be done so that you're beginning to put the blocks in place for the foundation to build upon. Now that is what I would really urge them to do. And I've had I've heard this from the, the police federation, from some of the justice union and unions in Wales, who are all supportive of devolution of justice, by the way, but they're very aware that the groundwork needs to be done. And they're to the point that they fear it could just be devolved and nobody has thought about what does devolving policing actually mean? What does what needs to be handed over? Um, is there a risk that the wall is going to be pulled over our eyes, that we don't get sufficient funding to come with it so that it's bound to fail? Mm. So, I mean, this is what I would really ask. Mark Drakeford he talks a good talk when it comes to some of the proto-pro-independence rhetoric. But if you're really, if you are in government, you do more than just talk it to keep some of your supporters happy because they like it that you've said that. If you're really looking, and he's an ex-probation officer, of course, if you're really looking about making a, dif a difference here, okay, you, it's in your hands. You could start building that now. Please do it. And if you haven't got the capacity to do it, join us in asking for money you know the hs2 money the crown estate money all these things that actually 
could pay for extra staff to do the work properly. I'm, I'm sure he's a listener. He'll have, he'll have heard that loud and clear. Um, um, obviously, we're talking about justice. Justice is a big issue um, uh, for not just for Ply Cymru, but also for the Welsh, you know, we're talking about Welsh Labour and others in Wales. Um, but there are other important constitutional uh, changes that could be looked at. For example, you know, you, you mentioned the Crown Estate, uh, long-standing issues with regards to water, but also I think particularly in the era of quite a serious, you know, as everyone will know, a very serious cost of living crisis, um, taxation and revenue raising um, in order to be able to then spend on public services. The Welsh Government has this kind of peculiar elco like for you know having to ask permission for a tax to be created by the uk treasury is that something that ply Cymru would look to you know i appreciate that the end result would be independence of some sort but but in terms of incremental changes is that something that ply Cymru would welcome sort of greater control over taxation okay i mean the, the question of an elco to do that um it's almost as though welsh labor are using that as an excuse that we can't do it when it comes to taxation I'm very aware that we have a low tax base in Wales. So that if we're talking about generating wealth for pub to, to spend within the public and public revenue, then there is a hard question to us. Who are we going to tax? Do we have we have few upper rate, you know, top, top level taxpayers that we have? That um, for me, particularly that, that there are other sources of taxation. If you're looking at, say, the windfall tax on, on, on large organizations, rather than approaching individuals who are already hard hit. If we're looking at the situation of what is called as a cliche now, the cost of living crisis in the UK, in Wales, it's a cost of inequality crisis. It's not that we have, you know, that crisis hits across everybody. We don't have the big wealth that is in very much in the, in, in the, in the southeast of England here. We don't have that wealth there. So I mean, I'm particularly interested in what are the other sources that we could use? I and mean, I think the crowd, HS2 argument, the fundamental unfairness that a railway that doesn't go to Wales doesn't generate any of the, the usual funding that Wales would have. That's really cut through. It's interesting. I think the Crown State argument, because you know, people have heard that Scotland is getting money from its offshore wind auctions. I know the most of the last offshore wind auction has gone very badly here. But nonetheless, you know, we, we, the YouGov have polled that 58% of people support de devolving the Crown Estate because you're talking about potential of bringing extra millions to Wales that we could then spend in a certain way. And, and, and that's the fundamental argument with water. We're talking about natural resources, what comes from Wales. Yes, I am very prepared to be a good neighbour, but I expect that neighbour to pay us rather than to extract it from us when we are in this in, in unequal relationship. So these, the means for Welsh government to do more, whoever is in government in Wales, the means to generate more money for us to do what we want to do is absolutely critical. And I think, I mean, we're, we're, we will certainly be going into this, the next general election with these arguments. It's always, look what we could do. We, we had this money, we're not going cap in hand we could generate this for ourselves and it gives us that autonomy and it gives us that dignity you know this is our this, this money is generated we, we should be able to use that here um so for welsh government yes i mean the question of income taxes i'm glad that we have the power but i think it is very important that we are uh, creative and radical about other sources as well and, again, and this, this is where scrutiny matters because otherwise a government will be given money 
if they're not held to account, they will not provide services well because they can cut corners and people have, you know, if it's not, it's difficult to do things well. And secondly, of course, when it gets more scrutiny, if we have more money in, coming in, then we have to know where it goes and ministers have to be held to account. I and mean, when we know, say, some of the agricultural budgets seem to be a bit um, woozy around the edges sometimes. Yeah, looking forward to the um, the election campaign, it would be very interesting to see what the policy platforms will be for the different Welsh um, parts and of parties and the Welsh parties. And at, our, at our event, we had an event at um, the Eisteddfod in Bodian uh, this summer, just past, um, with uh, Seanad Williams, member of the Senate of South Wales West, and um, uh, previously mentioned um, Professor Richmond Jones of uh, Cardiff University. And one of the themes that came out of that was um, that it is very difficult for Plaid Cymru to set the political weather uh, in Wales when the Welsh Labour Party has been so dominant and appearing to head towards improved results in Scotland and in England in the election to come. How would you reflect on that um, in the run up to the, the coming election? And if you had sort of supreme meteorological powers, um, <laughs> what would you be prioritising the Plaid Cymru to try and set the weather um, uh, as you come up. I appreciate you don't have a manifesto yet. Yeah, I don't have a weather a weather map. Um, it would be interesting <laughs> to see how the 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 by-election for Margaret uh, Ferrier's previous seat, mm. how that plays out. And I think there'll be a lot of interpretation, possibly not all of it accurate on that. Um, I think I mean, one of the things that, 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 that strikes us now is we're not, but certainly people who who were involved in politics back in 97, although Labour are doing very well in the polls, they're doing well mostly because people cannot begin to imagine voting for the Tories in the next general election. I don't pick up, and I think, I don't, I don't this isn't just political, political point scoring, but I don't pick up a great enthusiasm for Keir Starmer. I pick up you know, the idea that the Tories have to be gone and that it is Labour in the classic Westminster whose turn it is at the top of the wheel now, um, but the wheel always turns. And I think we, we, will have a, you know, we, we will have a particular challenge in the messages that we use to cut through in the next general election. And it's really important for us to be talking about things that will make, that people will relate to as making a difference to their lives. And I think when we were talking about funding and additional, people are very aware that public services have been cut, 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 cut. You know, 2008 hit in with the recession and then the Tories have gone at this ideologically. So that sense of what we could do with more money, I think cuts through. I think as a party, we are very much preparing then to the next Senate election. Because of course, historically, when you have Labour in power in Westminster and Labour in power in Cardiff, people's attitudes towards Labour and Cardiff may well be quite different. We will not have been in a position like that. Well, never before, really, in a position like this. As a party, we need to get our organisation, our organisation needs to be as strong, our potential candidates. Of course, we have an opportunity now, the chance now of, of candidates might win seats across Wales, rather than in the areas where we traditionally send back um, constituency representatives. 
Um, you know, we could have more representatives in areas which haven't had Plaid Cymru, a number of Plaid Cymru representatives in the past. So, uh, yes, it, it will be challenging. I mean, every general election is challenging. I, in some ways, I'm quite lucky having gone into 2017, 2019, without the opportunity of thinking about it. It just came like a train at, at us. Um, but uh, it's, it's also uh, an immensely... <laughs> interesting time and I th I think that with an, a new leader with Rheen who has spent this summer going around meeting people, being front-facing, talking to people, um, more of this I think again you know in, in Wales where the media is not as strong as all that this is something that we really really need to do and it's it's being done. Uh, again, thank, thanks for your time, taking your time to um, speak to us today. It's really grateful. Just to, just to finish, um, I wonder if I could ask what, you know, with all of this kind of stuff down the, coming down the line, there's an election, there's, you know, all manner of um, uh, exciting prospects. I'm just kind of curious, what, what will be your priorities in the in the parliamentary group, the Plan Cymru parliamentary group for the year to come, you know, in this, you know, it's it's a difficult time for a lot of people um, across different parts of society at the moment. What is it that you are going to be trying to push forward as your kind of key objectives between yourself, Ben, and um, and Howell in 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 the year to come? Oh, it will it will be to do with 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 cost of living and what what we can make the difference that we may be able to make on on energy, the proposals on on energy costs for people. Again, the, those the tangible arguments of what could bring more money to Wales and then over to the Senate members to make sure this money is actually being used effectively, that we've got an argument that that can be used effectively. Howell Williams to, to be working with in the, the um, Upper Conway, the new constituency where he already represents part of that, to use this place as, as effectively as we can as, 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 a, as a sounding board. I mean, I think th those are the, 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 major, the major arguments here and Again, I mean, you know, we, we have a new leader to make sure that the new leader's profile is as high as possible and to endeavour to attract more people to be to, to, to engage with, with Plaid. I mean, there are people, there are people in Labour who are already very disaffected, disappointed with Keir Starmer and this sort of um, don't scare the English Tory voters who are fed up who might vote for us, don't scare them. Don't scare them off, that, that overriding everything else. I mean, imagine, surely we should be in a time where Labour are replicating at these messages after the Second World War. And what we've got is just more of the same because we don't want to scare anybody. You know, that there really should be ideas in this crisis of inequality that the UK has, you know, perpetuates. Um, we need the other ideas. The ideas that we can put out there now will we'll be developing for 2026 as well. Fantastic. Thank you for your time, Liz. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, uh, I don't know if you do you tweet. I don't know what Twitter's called these days. Do you still do you tweet? Have we got an at I handle? Still, I still say tweet because I can't think of anything else to say. So where, so where should people go? To, where should people go to follow you uh, on on Twitter? Uh, oh, well, LSR applied. Well, so fantastic. Liz Savile Roberts, it's, we're quite yeah. easy. Yeah. Quite <laughs> there, easy can't, there can't be many Liz Savile Roberts. And Diolch am fawr iawn, Liz. Diolch am eich amser. Lovely. Diolch am fawr, Richard. Thank you for listening to Hiraith. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.